Hey, good morning, and welcome to MSP 3771 TU Tech Talk. Today we're going to have a roundtable discussion about some issues related to how technology is impacting society. We've got a couple guests from the class who are going to be um, engaging in the discussion today. We have Madeline. Hello. Amadeo. How's it going? And Dean. How's everyone doing? All right. Well, let's get started today with the discussion. The first thing I want to throw out there is this idea that Facebook is having an impact on our society. And there's been a lot of criticism lately about its policy of overlooking often false or misleading content. I'd like to ask the group for some of your thoughts on how this might be impacting society. Madeline? Well, um, one thing that comes to mind is, did you guys see the AOC like tearing up Mark Zuckerberg on C-SPAN? Did you guys see that video? Mm-hmm. That's yeah, sort of like, parts of it. yeah, it's a very prevalent thing with the election coming up. Um, is Facebook not flagging or taking down advertisements that purposefully display false information and mislead voters? And I also think, in like reverence to that, like this whole like news span since uh, good old Cheeto head's been in office, that um, <laughs> uh, like fake news has been like this major thing in all throughout all social media. And I also think that can it can like go to a like be um accused to the people that read social media and go through it, like people that just skim through articles or just read the topic. They just read the headline and they just think, oh. This is what this article is talking about. It should it it's possibly true. So I think like, yeah, Facebook has a problem with putting out there this like fake news, but it's also, I think, in tied to people not reading it to confirm like if it's true for or not. They just like read headline, oh, this is what it means. This is what I should believe. Yeah, I mean poli- sorry. No, no. I mean, um politics aside, the amount of like ridiculous news articles, I can't go on Facebook one time without seeing like you know an older family member just someone in general just reposting something that has literally no like basis in fact at all like you can click on the article and the 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 giveaway is always like the url it'll be like some crazy url you know what i mean with like five different slash something slash this and it's like are you even like checking or are you just reposting this like blindly like and it won't it'll, it'll be like about a topic that's like I don't know, some stupid topic that has nothing, it's not important, but it's like, why are you even, like, sharing this with the world, you know what I mean? Like, you could take five seconds to check if it's real or not, and you're not even doing that. Yeah, it's not necessarily dangerous, but it's misguided. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It was funny, too, because uh, it wasn't last semester, I think it was two semesters ago, it, it was for my mobile media class, uh, me and my partner had this funny idea just to make fun of, like, fake news on social media, and it was like a project to make our own, like, app so we call it the fake news destructor, and we made a video on it, uh, basically saying uh, it was a guy that missed school because he read an article saying that school was closed the next day. So uh, the video like basically says of his friend calls him saying like, "Where'd you? Where were you, man? School was happening." And he was like, "Oh, I read this article and stuff." And I said, "Oh, did you read it?" And he clicks on it, and it's a stupid picture of like people laughing, saying like, "School starts seven thirty sharp. Make sure you're there," or something like that. And it was, it was just a funny moment just like f- making fun of like the whole like stereotype of fake news on social media. But yeah, it's still a very 
relevant problem with people just believing anything they read. I, I understand that. I get where you're coming from with um, people should be reading things more closely. But I would argue with like political advertisements, um, what you're supposed to read is the headline. And like you generally just have like um, you generally just have a photo with text over it um, saying like these politicians voted for this bill. Would you vote for them? Are they representative of your values? Um, and when people have the power to purposely mislead voters with that small amount of information and those aren't taken down, I think that that's a pretty dangerous system. And I think like what you're saying is kind of reflective of like how we view politics as a whole. I think Facebook is very representative of how the direction that politics are moving because people are so focused on that that 30 second headline that you read or that 30 second sound bite that they got from a debate or whatever. When like in reality, I think people should be taking the time to read like long form articles and because you can't explain political, no matter what your policy is, you can't explain it in a headline. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's people should really start taking the time to like read through what they're sharing. You know what I mean? Like, but that's also like the definite goal of like whatever companies like producing these outlets. You have to make that headline that's going to get someone's attention. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Yeah. The headline is is definitely important, but I feel like people pay too much attention to it. Yeah, and, and the same thing goes for like political ads or like any type of video in general. Like that first like 15 to 30 seconds has to catch someone's attention right away or they're exactly. just going to turn it right off. I'd like to um, connect a couple of dots here in the discussion. Um, in my lifetime... Um, I remember when I was growing up, it was sort of the end of the Cold War. It's the end of the Soviet Union. And um, and technology obviously was completely different in the in the 90s, um, or actually the late 80s going into the early 90s. And uh, so I remember relying on broadcast news for a lot of information. And all of the broadcasters... Um, sort of fit a specific kind of set of criteria. They had a broadcastery voice and they were all ostensibly graduates of uh, colleges, communications departments, and were trained in, in journalism. And at the same time, there's this growing mistrust of public institutions. And I think a lot of people in, in the public space um, started to view the discipline of journalism and the institutions of uh, formal broadcasting with a lot of more distrust. We're, we're talking about a generation of people who, who came of age with Vietnam, the Vietnam War, and the different ways that society was torn apart over that conflict. And then you have Watergate, which tore apart the politics. And then we have the end of the Cold War. So it, it leads me to this thought about a general distrust of information in society. And I think there's a couple things that, that I see that are relevant. So we have the, we had in the, in the 60s, we had the assassination of John F. Kennedy. And then we had the assassination of Robert Kennedy and Martin Luther King Jr. You have the Vietnam War and a lot of very partisan controversies that happened then and then you have Watergate. And so by the time a lot of the boomer generation had sort of come of age and were established adults in the 1990s, a lot of people were just primed for not believing 
the information that they were seeing from traditional broadcast outlets. And then we had the explosion of talk radio in the 90s and shock jocks. And then as technology developed um, on the internet, it gave a, it provided a platform for people to just create content and not necessarily verify it. And there's large audiences of people who were just ready to jump on that and kind of fi create their own truth. So how do you see this impacting society through not only Facebook, but other forms of social media where people are going to get their information. Um, Madeline, earlier before we were recording, you mentioned 4chan. So let's talk about this idea of verifying facts, reporting the truth. What's happening here in our culture right now? How is technology moving this discussion? Um, I think that the originally when it, you know, when the internet age or whatever took over, I mean, I was too young to really, I don't really have a perspective on it, but I think that the central point of it was that you were going to have a place where you can get unbiased facts. You know what I mean? You can find any information on the internet. It's supposed to be decentralized. It's supposed to be, you know, the new age of information. And that's all good and well, but I think that with things like Facebook groups and, you know, subreddits and all these type of niche um, places on the internet, it just becomes a echo chamber for people who share the same ideas and they're just bouncing these same ideas off each other and they're not even paying attention to ideas that contradict it because they don't have to because they can pick what they see because it's the internet um and i think when you have a group of people that have particularly dangerous ideas and they're you know echoing them off of each other it can especially become you know worse than if you just had that traditional broadcast media but on the other side, there still are people that use the internet how it should be and get the full story and, you know, read the facts. So it's kind of like the good and the bad of it, you know what I mean? I feel like it's accentuated the good parts about uh, media, but it's also accentuated the bad parts about media. It's just all about how you use it, I suppose. So going off of this new base with social media being the, like, the the news outlet for i guess anchors everywhere because people are starting to watch tv less and less nowadays they're going to social media to find their news they're going on the internet google to find their news and it's been that major outlet just to get news out quicker instead of having people go out and wait for the four o'clock five o'clock news to come on and i feel and also just in in the terms of like when you were talking about facebook groups and just the comment sections like I, I know you guys like know comment sections on Facebook and oh, Twitter on how cancerous it could be. Like you can go on you can go on a Facebook article and you'll see like one comment and like load the next fifty comments under this like sub comment. And it's like it's just like a constant like bash and back and forth right. of like arguments between one political views and the other group's political views. It's just like Okay, people, you can chill for a little bit. And no one's saying anything that has any meaning. Like, mm -hmm. they're just they're just typing just to be part of the conversation. It's, Basically. like, ridiculous. Madeline, you mentioned the serotonin release that people get from, um, this was during our break, when on Instagram, when you get a lot of likes. I think there's a similar thing that happens on these comment threads where there's negative stuff. Um, and people get, like, maybe it's a, an adrenaline release. And... People get really angry and agitated, and but then they also have this false false feeling of making an impact by having their voice heard. Right. But is are they really 
having their voice heard or are we just like and then there's also with facebook like how instead of just liking you can actually react to a person's comment you can either heart it like it laugh to it be pissed off at it or sad at it so i think that also feeds if like someone laughs at someone's comment i guess that can feed into something but i think people like sometimes let their own ego build up from their comments saying oh i posted something beneficial i can keep talking well i want to move this into a discussion of search and give a little context in the past critics of uh, journalism and broadcast media would often talk about the links between advertising revenue and the kind of content that um, could be explored in a news piece like for example during the vietnam war dow chemical which was a manufacturer of agent orange which had a military use during the war, um, was a sponsor of some news broadcasting. And so there was a discussion about the um, bias that might be happening in news coverage. Nowadays, we, there, we still have these problems where information is tied to a system of monetizing. And so think about the YouTube's uh, search algor algorithm and the kind of content that comes up if you look for something. Um, is this environment creating problem for general safety for us human beings where we go for information and then we just find, you mentioned the echo chamber. How is YouTube doing this? Is YouTube fostering an environment where hate speech is influencing people? Yes. I think so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really easy to go from um, a video that is not dangerous, just about some niche interest that you have. And like from four clicks, you can fall into this like white supremacy rabbit hole of right wing people spewing really hateful rhetoric. Yeah, I mean, going back to what you were saying about um, Agent Orange and how they were, you know, the company was sponsoring news broadcasts. I mean, think about it. And the NRA has their own YouTube channel where they just post, you know, pro-gun videos all day long. And I think that's kind of like the same idea because they're, you know, they're monetizing that, obviously, because they're getting paid by... Well, actually, I don't know if YouTube will monetize their their videos or not. I'm not sure, like, how that fits into their algorithm. But either way, I mean, they're still making money off these videos and they're using it to push their agenda. So it kind of goes back to the same idea of, you know, the companies sponsoring broadcasts about the Vietnam War to kind of shape how, you know, shape the argument. Yeah. And there's the more overt things like the NRA, but there's also more covert just vloggers who make content that is really hateful. But it from the outside, it might not seem as bad as it is. And then you get pulled into it. And I'm, I believe that YouTube gives monetization to certain channels based off of how many likes and comments and subscribers they have. And then I've heard instances of the monetization getting pulled, but uh, when when a channel builds enough of a following that they are uh, called out a lot by other YouTubers or by just people reporting it, and then YouTube will pull the monetization. But at that point, those channels have a big enough following that most of the money they're making is off merchandise sales and like Patreon donations and things like that. So it allows people to build a platform based on hate and make a lot of money off of it. And uh, with YouTube, their algorithm, like you can never like guess what's going to be because they change the algorithm literally, what is it like every month? It's a new algorithm or something like that. 
And I feel like it also detriments like people that are just out there just trying to make their own content, specifically like gamers, people that are vlogging just to do vlogs. But it feels like those are the people that are taking more of the, I would say, effect off of it because they can't produce stuff that they want to produce because they have to go in turns with YouTube's algorithm. Say like, I think their new algorithm is now like you have to be as least profanity as possible. Like how I was saying, um, during our break, how I watched this one guy who records on Twitch when he plays games and then he posts it onto YouTube. He tries his best to not curse when he gets mad because if he posts that onto YouTube and he curses, they'll take down his video just for something like that. So I think with like when you were talking about like when the NRA is like posting like pro gun videos, like you don't see that being taken down by YouTube, but you see like one guy that says the F word once and his video gets taken down. So I feel like it's more detrimental to the people that are just out there trying to make their own content rather than these bigger companies that are posting these like dangerous type of advertisements. Yeah, I feel like YouTube's trying to make it seem like they're trying to monitor this stuff and trying to get rid of the, you know, the bad videos and all that. But in reality, I feel like they're just the end of, you know, by using the algorithm and not like, I mean, I understand there's so much content on YouTube. You have to use an algorithm. You can't really go through and with a fine tooth comb and pick out what's bad, but whoever's making these algorithms is really just screwing over people who are just trying to you know make a living off of it and it's really not getting at this like you were saying it's really not picking up the stuff that it should be can you guys tell me a little bit about 4chan and what your experience is with it do either of you have any experience with it yeah i have no experience no personal experience with it i mean 4chan it's its own little realm i don't like going on 4chan so how about reddit and what is a subreddit um, a subreddit, Reddit is organized into thousands or hundreds of thousands of different subreddits all about people's niche interests. It can be like a really toxic place, but I, I like it because I'm very into rock climbing. And so I follow a lot of like rock climbing subreddits to just see a lot of content about that. And that's really fun. But it's also really easy to find really disgusting shit that you don't want to see. Can I have you ever done a, a search on Reddit? Is, is it a searchable format? It is, but I wouldn't say that that's how most people use it. Okay. Well, where I'm going with is, so you take your interest in rock climbing on Reddit. How many steps do you have to go in that in that world before you come across content that you have a gut feeling might be leading you to, you know, hate speech or a hate group? Well, the thing about Reddit is you can curate the content that you're seeing. So not a lot of um, content that you're not interested in pops up unless you're specifically searching it out. Okay. So it's less of um, it has less of that problem that like YouTube and Twitter might have. Yeah. So like if you're like she said, she basically goes under like for rock climbing, you're basically just going to see like reddits or subreddits that are just about rock, rock climbing. There's not going to be like any other specific like off the line topic. OK. Like if I can go under and I'll search for sports, there's a ton of sports reddits and subreddits and stuff like that. You're not going to find that one just random reddit that's just there or something about like hate speech or something like that you're not gonna find that on reddit unless you like specifically search for that how how is reddit linked to um facebook so for example if i'm searching on google for like something that i want to buy i often find that my facebook feed gets populated with advertisers that are trying to get me to buy the thing that i was searching for on google does anything like that happen that happens to me like every single day <laughs> to be honest with you <laughs> It's it, it, it feel like every day it's like more and more and it's just like more platforms that are all connected together somehow. 
Uh, but I think it's just the fact that Facebook likes to embed itself in all the other stuff that you're using by, you know, log in with Facebook and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you you know, you like you said, you know, make a Google search for something you want to buy, and then five minutes later you're on Facebook and you're getting five advertisements for it, which in rare cases can be a good thing because I've found some stuff <laughs> that, like, I'm like, all right, I actually this is a cheaper price or whatever, but that's a rare occasion like that the actually algorithm happens. algorithm works. Yeah, exactly. It works in rare instances. Yeah. No. I had similar had a similar experience, but then I I clicked on the ad that came up in my Facebook feed, and it was for a price for a guitar that I liked, mm-hmm. but the price was too good to be true, and it was like a um, it was a fake company that was selling, well, a real company that was selling a um, imitation product with the real brand name on it, and at a price that was just. Uh, you, uh, it had to be a scam because mm-hmm. uh, they were selling, you know, Gibson guitars for like, um, like the Chinese Gibson guitars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've but seen those with the real Gibson logo. And I'm thinking, how how does Facebook get away with selling that ad um, to something that's fake? And this leads me to the next point: is is there a way that we as a society could reform some of these things? Do you have any ideas about how we could regulate some of these spaces in our lives? I mean, I think the first step is just to regulate it at all, because as of right now, it's very lightly regulated Facebook. Facebook does these kind of things because in reality, who's going to tell them not to? I mean, yeah, like, you know, Madeline, you were talking about how um, Mark Zuckerberg was being questioned in front of Congress and all that. But, you know, how much has really come of that besides him being questioned? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Have they really taken action other than that? We don't really have laws in place that apply to these kind of things you know the legislation is kind of 20 years behind the technology so it's true yeah and honestly we don't have a lot of power in doing that the only power we have is collectively deciding not to use these platforms um but i think it's pretty impossible to band people together in that way because they also offer a lot of convenience and a lot of connection and i think just when you're going off of like the whole mark zuckerberg thing like there's been like instances where Facebook will listen to you through your microphone without your permission or they'll go look through your camera. Like I can literally talk uh, like randomly away from my phone or like near my microphone, like something that I want and an advertisement will either pop up on Facebook or Instagram. You could literally say like, uh, I'm in the sports. I like to buy jerseys. I really want a jersey in like maybe five minutes. An advertisement will pop up for jerseys. Yeah, it's more of a conversation about like the surveillance state than it is yeah. um, Facebook marketing. I think. And I'll be honest, I was a skeptic of that for a long, like people would talk about that like a like oh I was talking about this in front of my phone and then I got an ad for it and I would be like all right I think it's a coincidence but to be honest at this point it's happened too many times to me for me to call it a coincidence like <laughs> yeah. I have to believe it now. 20 years from now we're going to have a civil suit about it but yeah. in the meantime we'll just get ads for jerseys. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well this this leads to the next area I wanted to talk about which is incel culture. And I feel um, pretty strongly that a lot of the problems of social media and technology lead to a general feeling of alienation across the spectrum of humanity. There's a feeling of being disconnected and disembodied through these experiences that are supposed to create connection. And this is leading to a lot of anger and and sadness and, and and then some pretty incredibly negative behaviors and events. And one example of this is this this um, uh, occurrence of 
violence which is coming out of these incel online communities. Can we talk about that for a moment? Yeah, I think that incel culture has gotten a new name with the internet, but it's been around from before the internet. Like, um, makes me think of the shooting in Montreal in the 80s where um, the, a male shooter shot up a classroom full of, like, women studying in STEM um, because he didn't think that women should be able to learn that stuff. And a lot of the mass shootings today, if you look at the manifestos of the shooters, it has ties to incel culture and to, like, white supremacy and a lot of these far-right movements. So briefly, could Madeline, could you define or describe what the um, the meaning of incel culture is? Yeah, incel um, is an abbreviation for involuntarily celibate. So it's men, usually young men ages like 16 to 30, who um, have a lot of trouble with women, talking to women in real life, and um, uh, can't get girlfriends. And um, instead of looking inward on why maybe people don't want to be around them. They project these hateful ideas outward and decide that it's the fault of women because it's it's women's fault that they don't want to sleep with them. And it's a societal issue rather than some personal problems. So this is like an anti-feminist reaction and it's being nurtured, if you can use that word, by things like 4chan and Reddit and YouTube and various social media platforms is that yeah i think the tricky thing about it is um there's so many little niche interest groups i mean they're not actually little there's so many niche interest groups that all blend together or overlap a lot and so incel culture overlaps with um, white supremacy which overlaps with men's rights movements um, which overlaps with so many other things and it's like you can pick out these niche groups but there's a lot more intersection between them so that's like an important part to think about when you're thinking about um, how the Internet plays a role in the fostering of these communities. And I think it's also important to mention that, like, a lot of people think that this is like a new problem, but it's really not. I mean, these 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 personality types have existed forever. It's just with the Internet, you can now go on your phone and see it happening live. You know what I mean? It's not happening in some like some dude's living room where it's like a men's club and they're all meeting up like nowadays they're just hopping on 4chan or whatever it is and you know for the world to see yeah just going off of that topic like you said with the mass shooting back in 1980 in montreal this probably has been like a subculture for like years and years it's just at the internet these days and how like more advanced it's become it's just been more relevant to the people's eyes than what it, what, what it was back then and just like how many mass shootings have we've had in like the past decade? Like way too many to describe and how many horrible events have happened. How many of those people, those shooters, like can you describe were a part of that culture? Yeah, I would argue all most of them. Yeah, it's just a terrible, terrible time. Just like that culture, it it could just mean a lot of terrible things. And sadly, it, it's happened like that. All right. So in this final segment of the roundtable here, I, I want to reflect a little bit on the possibility for reform. I think there are a lot of things standing in the way of reform, but I think there are a lot of good reasons that there should be reform. And this goes really, I think, across a wide spectrum of political beliefs, because a lot of the problems that we've been describing here are widespread throughout society. So let's talk about 
some possibilities for reform. Any ideas for what we could do to make this situation better? I mean, I think the first thing that needs to be done is people need to stop sharing so much of their lives with the internet. Like, I think people need to start learning to draw the line between what is private and what can be public. You know, it's fine to have a Facebook page. It's fine to interact with people on it. But, I mean, I'm sure everyone in this room can think of a person they know or, or friends with on social media that just post every single thing that happens to them. And at a certain point, it's like, who cares? But it's also a fact of, like, they're, you know, it's also a privacy issue. You know what I mean? Like, we can't, you know, a lot of people are talking about how the internet has killed privacy. But to be honest, the, the people have really just willingly let it go with social media. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, so I think it's ha it's partly on these platforms to increase their privacy measures and their policies. But it's also on people to really start limiting how much they're putting out there for everyone to see. Well, I think that a lot of the social media platforms ask specifically, in order to use them, you have to give them a lot of your information. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I don't, I, I understand the idea that people should be self-policing a little bit and how much they post and how much they share with these platforms. But I think in order to use them, you do have to share pretty much all your vital information, like your phone number, like the place you live, where you went to school, a lot of these things. Yeah, and it's like one of the first things Facebook's actually like, hey, what's your name? What's your date of birth? Where are you from? Like, where did you go to school? All that stuff. But I also do agree with you, like 100%, there are a lot of people out there that use Facebook literally as their own diary. Yeah. I just feel like some people, the people that post a lot on it are just looking for some sort of like confrontation reaction. You know what I mean? Like they really thrive off the reaction that they get from posting or whatever, like especially people with a lot of followers and all that. It's really like a source of happiness for them in a way, and it's kind of strange to see, but it really has that whole th like you know concept is really become ingrained, and especially a lot of younger pe like people that are younger than us, like people that are in high school like right now. Like I, I look at like my my younger brothers, not necessarily, but like their friends and everything. It's just like crazy, like how ingrained it is in their daily routine. And I think social media has come to the point where people literally post so much because all they care about is how many followers they have, how many likes they have, because this idea of one file where one like and grows into 100 followers, 100 likes per post, I feel like it's kind of like corrupted their mind a little bit to feel like, oh, I got to keep producing all this stuff because people like so much stuff that I do. So I feel like that like whole state of mind, like how like now Instagram with their new like getting rid of the likes um, algorithm, even though it's like you can see how many likes you get, but you can't see how many likes another person gets. So I think that's sort of a step in the right direction to where you can't compare yourself to someone else. You can only see what you get. So it's it's like sort of a step in the right direction, but I feel like some people will still go a little bit wacky from like, I got to keep posting so I can get all these likes and all these followers. Right, because some people, it's not even about looking at how many likes they get versus other people. It's just those likes are like super important to them just in general. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of crazy. Well, I want to point out also about about Facebook is it's, it's free to use, right? But the price that you pay is giving them access to your right. personal personal info. So... But another problem is that is if you're not on Facebook, 
you're cutting yourself off from a major societal um, experience. And that could hurt you in maybe a job search or maybe a um, just being up with the times. So it's like there's a lot of social forces that push us to, to share more and to participate more. But again, it's a free service. So there, so what's, what's for sale? What's the price? Our data is the price, right? So. And I think going back to what uh, Madeline said about how you're kind of required to give up that information. And also what you're talking about, you know, you're pretty much required to give up that information to become part of the Facebook community. Um, but what people don't realize is then that data is stored with Facebook. Facebook now owns that data. You know, you don't have any control over it at that point. Once you shared it with them, you can't take that back ever. Um, so I think it's important for, I, there are initiatives out there right now where people are looking into different ways that we can use the internet where your data stays with you and you can only share it. When you're, it's like, for, for example, like say you're using Facebook, they can access your data, but they can't copy it. They don't own it. You know, you still own it. It's encrypted. And I think something like that has to happen um, so that we can, you know, keep ownership of our own information. You know, I have something to ask to the three of you. This is a little bit of an extreme question, but it's like kind of funny. Like, do you, like, would, would you compare signing up for a social media website like signing your soul away to the devil? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's that bad, but <laughs> like it's, it's up there. It's an interesting thought to think about. Well, let me tell you that, that compared to the the first time that I signed my soul to the devil. <laughs> joke, joke. I'm gonna get myself fired. Um, uh, no, I, honestly, uh, I, um, it's a tough question because let's say they put a paywall in that would provide you would buy some privacy. Well, then that becomes a social justice issue, right? Because there's many people who would be unable to afford to pay for their privacy. And if access to this, to social media is an essential component for, you know, access to a job or to participating in your community, being involved in all kinds of things, um, then is it fair to have a paywall there? And if it's a public good that's free, then I think that it's incumbent upon us to reform it so that our data isn't being misused. And there, now I've jumped into the, I've jumped, I've taken a partisan stance now, and I'm supposed to be the moderator. <laughs> <laughs> so anybody want to push back on what I just said? Well, I mean, I think instead of a paywall, it should just be legislation that says, you know, someone's data is their property because right now there really is nothing to say there have been lawsuits about this before and in in the majority of cases the companies win because they can you know they are in possession of that data they are storing it so it's theirs but in reality it's not theirs it's the users um so i think there really needs to be a clear line set on that between what the company owns or what, you know, Facebook owns or what Twitter owns and what we own. I think, like you said, it's like this is more of a situation that's like above all of our heads, like governmental legislation, like they have the control of like what should happen. I feel like 
if Facebook were to take a stand on this, I feel like they'll just make this situation 100 times worse than it already is right now. I mean, for example, in the EU, there's a, a law passed where if there's a, um, say there's like a Google entry that comes up on page one about you when you search your name, that's like completely false and you want to have it taken down. Google is legally required to hear you out and take your case. And if they can, if you can prove that this is a misleading article or whatever, they are required to take it down. Whereas in the U.S., there is no such legislation. If anyone can post anything they want about you and Google can say, well, the public have the right to see whatever they want. You know what I mean? It's just kind of like a individual versus public information debate, if that makes sense. Madeline? Oh, I, I agree that it has to be a legislative thing. If Facebook can make money off of having our personal data and selling it to advertisers, they're not going to stop doing that because it's wrong morally. Like They have right. to be made to not do that. And I don't think that individual people have the power to do anything about that. Interesting. I'm starting to feel like... Um, like all of these social media platforms have a function in our society, which is similar to like a public utility, like the electric company or the water de department. <laughs> um, and imagine if the water department were not regulated, you could just put poison <laughs> right into people's faucets. That would cause an outcry, right? Um, if everybody had to boil their water before using it. But it's, I feel it's similar to, you know, your Facebook feeds turning on a faucet and then you get all this stuff. A lot of it's poisonous. So this has been an interesting discussion. I hope it leads to more conversations. I think these are important conversations to have, especially as we look at the technology sector. This has been an episode of TU Tech Talk for MSP 3771. Thanks for listening.